Welcome to Two Penny Blog, where I share my two cents with anyone who cares. This is Pastor Lou Florio. Hey everyone, it's so good to be with you today, especially for this very important conversation. It was originally recorded in February 2022 as part of Non-Working Title, a podcast that was done by a friend of mine who is a college campus minister and also a young adult missioner, and his name is Father Ethan Lowry. We had a very frank, energetic um, it's a difficult conversation regarding anxiety and stress and grief and post-traumatic stress and a lot of other things that many of us are feeling today in a pandemic world, in a world that has so many challenges with economics and geopolitics and so many different things that can really make us feel oppressed at times. But hopefully you'll find a conversation that was in itself hopeful. I invite you to listen do contact me if you have any questions. I'm always glad to hear from you. I want to turn it over to Ethan now. Thanks for joining us again. Hello, um, this is Ethan, and this is Non-Working Title, the podcast where we talk about not working, being unproductive, resisting the urge to be productive and on and available at all times. And I have with me today um, my pal and colleague, Pastor Lou. Hi, Pastor Lou. Hello, how are you? I am hanging in there. Um, I will say briefly before we get started that a lot of this work, um, a lot of this conversation for me um, is very much based in the work of Trisha Hersey and the NAP ministry. Um, So please do go seek her out um, and support her, follow her on social media, give her money. Um, and also the book, How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell, The Sabbath by Abraham Joshua Heschel, um, and even After Whiteness by Willie James Jennings, all fantastic, um, containers for this conversation. Um, that said though, let's introduce ourselves. Um, so my name is Ethan. I am an Episcopal priest and I work with college students and with young adults, Um, which is always exciting and lively work. Um, But when I am not working, you will find me at Chipotle five days a week. (laughs) (laughs) It's my like one unfortunate advice. And I, it's not great. It's not great. But this is also a place where we tell the truth. So... (laughs) The, Ch- the Chipotle on Route One. <laughs> You'll find me there. What's your favorite meal? Um, I used to be a really diehard burrito person, um, but then the pandemic hit, and everybody got in a tizzy about fomite transmission, which has been like debunked more or less. So mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to touch my food anymore. So I switched to burrito bowls, oh, and it's really been, mm-hmm. it's really been the game. I will say the the best kept secret at Chipotle is the salad dressing. 
they only give it to you if you get a salad, but you can ask for it. And the salad dressing on the burrito bowl really hits. That's a nice tip. It's so good. It's yeah. so good. Yeah, I'm a burrito guy. I love burritos. Usually, I, I, I like chicken lately because it's a little healthier for you. <laughs> Or, or vegetarian, you know, like just get a vegetarian, sure. so obviously better. But Yeah, I love that. Um, well, Lou, who are you? <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've, um, I've been a lot of things in my life. Um, and so for those that don't know me, I am pastor, associate pastor at Christ Lutheran Church. And that's in Fredericksburg and a colleague of Ethan, as we he said. Um, I guess I've been here for about three years now. I have not always been a pastor. I have been a soldier. I have been a police officer. I served in mission with Native youth in South Dakota. Uh, a lot of those folks were from... Um, troubling situations, struggles, and um, my own knowledge from my own family dysfunction actually was helpful there and um, learned a lot from the culture out there. I also had a chance to serve and work with the Brothers of Tizay in France for about seven months. I was uh, discerning a call with them back in the day. And I uh, went to Union Presbyterian Seminary in Richmond, and they had a, a program where you would study for uh, Master's in Divinity and Master's in Science and Criminal Justice. And of course, that seemed like a good fit for me, but particularly because I wanted to focus on youth. Youth and young adults has been really what I've mostly worked in as a volunteer layperson or as a as a missionary. And once I got there, I was encouraged to continue to think about a call, discern a call. And so I decided to enter the call process and I ended up becoming a Lutheran pastor. While I was waiting for, for my call to happen, about a year and a half, as I was finishing up some extra classes, Lutheran year at uh, Gettysburg, I served as a hospice chaplain and got a lot of experience in the hospice field, visiting people in their homes, and also uh, serving in hospitals. So I've been in a lot of high-stress fields, a lot of fields that call us to work long days. You're emotionally attached to those that you serve. You, I, I do feel I love them. Sometimes the people that are hardest to love are the ones you remember the most you know, that you get connected with the most because you invest in them. And so self-care has been a very important part of my history, and that includes rest. Mm. Here at Christ Lutheran, I was asked to come up here after serving for about 11 years as a solo pastor in Mechanicsville to focus on evangelism, community engagement, social ministry things out in the community and Christian education. And I draw upon those tenets of health and rest all the time. And all those past experiences inform everything I do as a pastor today. 
Um, well, gosh, I'm already having questions that I am excited to dig into. Um, but before we do that, I will ask you, ask us simply, um, how rested are you today? I hear it's it's 10 a.m. on a Thursday, which is the weirdest day of the week. Yeah, I'm actually quite rested. I've been doing a lot of work over the last two years on my sleep, um, partly due to some medical diagnoses, partly due to the stress of the pandemic and of life. And everything's come together really beautiful this last several months. And uh, I am I am really feeling good today. That's awesome. <laughs> you look surprised. <laughs> Congratulations. I know it's, 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 uh, it's, I feel very fortunate, but it's, it takes some work. It takes some intentionality. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, I feel like you go around asking people how they're doing and it's either you get the quick, like, I'm fine. How are you doing? Or the like, I'm hanging in there. The sky's um, falling. <laughs> Yeah, and many days of the week, the sky is falling. Um, I'm very happy to hear that you're well rested. Well, there's a there's a friend of mine. He's passed now, but he uh, was very important as a mentor to me. He was recovering from alcoholism, and one of the things he always used to say to me is how much he hated when people just said, "I'm fine." Mm -hmm. (laughs) He said, "He said try to say what you really feel," but I do notice some people don't want to know. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they get uncomfortable when you start to talk, you know, bluntly about how you're feeling, but that's where it's important to have good friends that you can do so with. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but it's a good know, exercise you for yourself though, you know, yeah. to, to really force yourself to not just minimize where you're at and say, how am I today? Yeah. Um, you know, a few days ago I was, I saw a TikTok that was, um, the parent of a child with a developmental disability. Um, and it was um, like a, a minute long TikTok that was saying like, this is our nighttime wind down routine. Like, here's what we do. Here's what we do. Here's what we do. We get the jammies on. We're on the beanbag. We're watching the, the same TV show. And I was watching this video and I thought, <clears throat> why don't I have a nighttime wind down routine? Yes. <laughs> it's like I get up from couch I go to bathroom, I brush teeth, I get in bed. That's it. I'm like, wow, they spend like 45 minutes like really getting to a place where it's like, okay, it's time for bed. Um, So asking that question again this morning, I feel like that very much feels like where I'm at today. Like, I don't know. I slept okay. Did I sleep enough? I don't know. Yeah, that's Like I just went to bed and woke up that's part of the challenge of getting a good night's sleep is to be able to turn off Um, insomnia. A lot of people struggle with either hard time falling asleep or waking up and not going, being able to go back to sleep or the third form of insomnia waking up too early. And in all those things, what we do before going to bed can matter. And so to try to lower lights, lower stimuli, maybe stay off the screen. That's a big one. A lot of people suggest Um, that all can help you move into a more restful sleep, trying to meditate or pray before you go to bed. That can be helpful. Uh, I always walk my dog late at night. Actually, it's one of the things I do before going to bed. I I go for the walk with my dog. I come in, 
I do what I need to do to get ready for bed. And then when I go to bed, lights are off and, and I fall asleep. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Structure is important. Yeah. It do, it's not just for kids. <laughs> it's, it's, it's for all the children of God. Yeah, we love to think it's just for kids. Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm really curious to dig into this question. Um, we are both, we're both pastors during like the third major variant surge of an ongoing global pandemic. Um, and I wonder what it's been like for you, um, trying to remain like a healthy, balanced, rested human in the midst of so many forces trying to keep us off kilter. Yeah, it's been a super big challenge um, because it's not just the pandemic in and of itself. You have multiple forces going on. There's, yes, the pandemic and the arguments over that. You had pre-existing bitterness and division in our culture, economic struggles pretty much on and off since the Great Recession. Um, A lot of political uncertainty, uncertainty in geopolitics. I mean, look at uh, what's going on in with uh, China and Russia and all these things, even if you're just paying attention to it on the news can impact your mental health and the way you look at the world. Then you also have all the things related to black lives matters, good, bad, and indifferent in uh, increase in violence in the cities uh, struggles for justice, all inequities, all these things can bring stress onto us. And so I found myself really wrestling with that. My brain kind of got hyperactive. I couldn't turn off. And what ended up happening is that first summer, I found myself with a number of memories coming back from the past, particularly from police work, because that was the echo of the time. Mm -hmm. Things I hadn't thought of in a long time, nightmares, waking up, um, feelings I hadn't felt about these past incidents in a long time that had kind of been stuffed. And Mm -hmm. my sleep really got affected. And with that, I was really getting, oh my goodness, probably only like, on a good night, three hours of good sleep, unbroken sleep. And so I started doing like weird things. I would put, I'd get a cup of coffee and try to put the coffee pot back in the fridge, for example, (laughs) you know, things, things that you hear that sometimes Alzheimer's or dementia patients do. I'm like, Oh my gosh. But the, the good point is that I've been educated about these things through my work Mm -hmm. I am currently a police chaplain, so I've been really studying these things for many years. And then even when I was in law enforcement, I had an incident with post-traumatic stress that I received some counseling on and did some work on. And then also with my family of origin, which had a lot of difficulties, we had counseling starting back when I was young. And that Mm -hmm. also impacts how you relate to stress today, too, that I want to, for those that are out there, to consider that what may not be big to someone else may be big to you based on your past history, your past mm-hmm. history of trauma, your past history of stress, and also the choices you make and how to deal with it. And so in my case, with these symptoms, I knew the first thing to do is not ignore it, but address it. 
So I have a, a condition called essential tremor. I have a neurologist and I was going to the neurologist and, uh, and I, I just brought it up when they were talking about, as they have been with mental health during the pandemic, a lot of times they've been asking, you know, how are you doing? And, um, and so I just told them about all these symptoms. And I said, I think I'm having some post-traumatic stress symptoms. And um, they agreed and they told me that my medicine actually might even be impacting that, that my medicine could, one of my medicines that I was on for my essential tremor might've been impacting some of these memories. And so I, um, you know, we evaluated my medicine, but also they referred me and I um, pursued um, really trying to learn about what I was dealing with, with a counselor and also books. I learned a lot from books. So I was reading a lot about self-care and particularly with the concept of um, cognitive therapy for insomnia, which was kind of new to me. Um, I had a counselor that was very um, experienced working with veterans and that worked well with police experience. And I was able to really relatively quickly get back on track because Mm -hmm. her concept was focusing on sleep a lot of these other things fall back in place. Mm-hmm. And that is my experience. And so what I've told other folks is, you know, there is such a thing as post-traumatic stress disorder, but in reality, all of us can experience post-traumatic stress of some sort at different times. Mm-hmm. And the disorder is more when you get stuck in it and you may need some more, intensive therapies and medications and other things. I wasn't in that situation. I needed to just kind of clean up my <laughs> shop in a sense, you know, get, get things mm-hmm. a little bit. And uh, she worked with uh, sleep um, hygiene, they call it, you know, just things we were talking about a moment ago, schedules, winding down, uh, how, the temperature in the room is what the lighting in the room is, all these different things that can impact sleep, what you eat before you go to bed, things like that. Then at the same time, trying to, you know, just talk about some of those uh, memories and issues that were popping up and why I might've been struggling with them in a way that might've subconsciously affected my sleep. And then also learning some techniques for helping my brain to find rest, to stop cycling mm-hmm. on that hamster wheel. Uh, and in my case, my, my sleep disorder, it was, I would fall asleep fine, but I'd wake up and my brain would be on and I just mm-hmm. could not fall back to sleep, but I'd stay in bed and I'd try to sleep and it was no good. One of the things that she taught me is if I can't get back to sleep in about 20 minutes, just get up. Get up, read, get go into another room, get out of get out of your bed. Use mm-hmm. your bed for sleep. And get out of your get out of your room. Just spend some time. And as you start to feel drowsy, try again to go back to sleep. And that was a helpful advice. Also, with the help of her um, advice, I was able to, she had a system of working on what was kind of what I'd call sleep compression. 
basically for a week, I was asked to compress the hours I would allow myself to sleep. Mm -hmm. So I was going to bed around one o'clock and getting up at the time that I wanted to get up, which was around seven o'clock. And we would see if I could sleep with that staying awake, not allowing myself to take any naps during the day and staying awake and, you know, just trying to force myself, well, not force myself, but just being tired enough to sleep Mm -hmm. and make it through the night. Once I did that, then we started ticking back 15 minutes at a time. And so over several weeks, my, my sleep adjusted, my body adjusted to this Mm -hmm. new schedule. And so since I've been doing that, I've been going to bed at 1145 and getting up at around 645 to seven. Oh, wow. And and that's pretty much the sleep that I need. Um, I'm in a deeper sleep, so I don't get up to go to the bathroom as much because you're in a deep sleep. You don't feel that urge, right? Mm -hmm. I don't hear things as much because I'm in a deeper sleep. And so I will have often a solid sleep with no waking until six o'clock. And mm-hmm. then I might get up and then go back to bed and sleep another 45 minutes to an hour. And that's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that that came together in that way. But I'm a big proponent of it. I've, I've mentioned it to others. Post-traumatic stress is a dicey thing though, you know, because people think worst case scenarios, they're uncomfortable about it. But there's actually a lot of, since this pandemic began, I've been reading a lot, as you probably have, you know, on the pandemic and the stress of it. There's there's some people that suggest, and I concur that this ongoing stress can also cause post-traumatic stress. It is similar to a police officer that may never have a shooting incident, but has had a lot of tense, high crisis incidents and they end up as if they had a shooting incident. They they're, they're, they have those same kind of symptoms. It just, it, it can build upon its, it builds up over time. And that's what we're experiencing. I think with a lot of our, I see a lot of folks in our youth group and out in the community, young adults and others that have identified when they're talking to me, they're identifying that they feel extra anxious. They feel different symptoms, including sleep disruption, that often are attributed to, associated with post-traumatic stress symptoms. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to recognize that just because you're experiencing post-traumatic stress symptoms doesn't mean you're doomed, doesn't mean that you're deficient. Well, that's what people think sometimes, right? I mean, I'm being honest. There's a a social stigma. And and so the, the point is that what I've told others that I think that you're going to be healthier addressing them, whatever those symptoms are earlier, you're going to be healthier Uh and healthier. And and it's a sign of really not being weak, but being brave, you know, being strong that you are hitting something head on and knocking it out, just knocking it down. And, um, and, and so, um, that's a been a big part of uh, I've gotten more comfortable talking about it over time mm-hmm. because there, like I said, there's social stigma. I, I don't always, I don't always uh, go around 
talking about it unless it comes up in a conversation like I've been asked about it. You know, that's mm-hmm. who I am. It's a, a thing I've dealt with. And um, I'm much more than my any disease I have, you know, whether it's I'm a cancer patient, I'm not cancer. I'm a, I have essential tremor. I'm not a essential tremor. I have arthritis. I'm not arthritis. Well, it's the same thing for any kind of mental health. You're not the mental health symptoms. You're more than that. You know, I think this question of like trauma feels like so on the nose for this season of life that we're in. I mean, I, I think like the question of trauma applies even more broadly just to the circumstances of 21st century American life. Um, and very acutely to this pandemic, um, I, I was remembering you said like part of what this pandemic, this sort of season of affairs has done is it sort of like tapped veins of trauma for people. And I was remembering that like very, very early in the pandemic, I had like a very strong like hypochondriac reaction Mm. to the pandemic. Like I've sort of always been a hypochondriac, always dealt with OCD of various kinds. Um, And very early in the pandemic had like a a pretty strong reaction um, that I wondered about for a while and eventually sort of traced it back to like high school sex education that was like if you're a gay person it's a liability to have a body Mm -hmm. and i was like there's this like major like viral minefield going on out there and it feels like a liability both for me to have a body and also for other people to have bodies i was like what is (laughs) it's like this was like 15 years ago and here it's just still very much with me. Uh, And I, I guess I just think like, you know, PTSD feels so much the way that we talk about it. Thank, I mean, thank God how we talk about trauma has shifted even in the last five, 10, 15 years. Um, But people tend to sort of narrow the scope of like just a few people have PTSD and it's extreme cases over here. But it's also helpful to think like we all have traumas of various degrees and this pandemic is an ongoing trauma. And I guess I just, I've been trying to think a lot lately about what does it mean to be a pastor to a traumatized community? You know, like that's just very much the terms of the mission field right now. Like everybody's kind of traumatized and our communities are traumatized. Right, right. And it feels like the elephant in the room that we haven't really quite been able to name like you check in with people and it's very much like I'm hanging in there, but I'm sort of tired beyond the point of burnout. Like I don't really know how I feel anymore, but we're, we're hanging in there. It's like, we're saying these kind of like wild things about how we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not quite making a step to like, actually we're all traumatized. And what we're doing right now is like pastoring trauma triage, you know, um, yeah, I was um, when I was interviewed to come to Christ Lutheran. Somebody asked me, with all my history working with kids that had gone through trauma, at-risk youth, they said, "Well, a lot of our kids are pretty good. Da 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 da. You know, good grades, good schools, good this, good that." Um, but I said, "You know, our kids are always at risk, really. Right? It's mm-hmm. just a matter of how much." When we talk in the studies I've done. 
in the work I've done, I've discovered that there are risk factors and resiliency factors. Mm-hmm. And it's if we have too many risk factors, there's a chance that our life can become disordered. And if there's resiliency factors, there's a chance that even when trauma happens, we'll do better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the situation we're in. Everyone's experiencing trauma. Some are doing better than others. Some people where they had resiliency factors, such as being able to spend time with friends, that's been undercut. Mm -hmm. So what are you replacing it with? You know, you don't have that thing to rely on anymore. How can you, how can you build something up? And so I think as a pastor, particularly in pastoral counseling, I think it's important for us to help them identify and build upon those resiliency factors, which Mm -hmm. includes faith and self-care and Sabbath days and things like that. Um, When there's a counselor I once spoke with that talked about how when we have experienced a trauma we may have dealt with it. We may have gone to counseling. We may have gone to self-help groups. We may have felt, oh, you know, I'm, I'm good with this now. But when another trauma or thing similar to it happens, it can bring up those old things. Mm-hmm. And you find that you have to address it again. It's, it is sometimes... <sighs> the emotional things sometimes can be harder than the physical things. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a guy I knew who was a recovering drug addict who used to get in violent fights with his wife. And we we're talking about our upbringings in our families. And he said, I really felt a lot of compassion for you hearing your story because he said, when, when my wife and I fought and would injure each other, those scars would heal. But he found that the emotional scars were what really lasted. Mm-hmm. And I heard that from him and it just struck me as a, as a truth. And sometimes we don't value the impact or because it's painful, we don't want to address them. Now I'm not suggesting that we, focus only on our wounds because that's a disordered way of looking at life too, but we shouldn't ignore them. And when they, when they rear up again, I think it's helpful as some counselors have done differentiate between post-traumatic stress disorder and post-traumatic stress symptoms. Mm -hmm. If you're starting to see some symptoms, address those symptoms. Um, It just means you're human. It's your body trying to make sense of things. And why not try to help your body do that? And that can include counseling, exercise, diet, all the things, sleep, all these things that you think of for being a healthy person anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I think I had, a counsel, I had a pastoral care professor back in seminary. Carol Schweitzer is her name. She's very, very very good. Um, boy, she was one of the best professors I had. She 
she really could read people and understand people well. And she had suggested to us that if we're going to refer people to counseling, then we should go to counseling. Mm -hmm. Which I think some of the social workers and clinical counselors are suggested to do. And so that's been my habit. You know, um, it's helped me understand what it is to go through counseling and whatnot. Now, if you don't have some issue to work through per se, it's still, there's still counselors out there that can help you address those issues you want to talk about, or you might even do it as a maintenance thing once a quarter, once mm-hmm. half a year, once a year, whatever, <clears throat> and develop a relationship with a counselor. Um, but at the same time, folks should consider the possibility of a spiritual director. Mm-hmm. I use one through Richmond Hill, which is an ecumenical community in the Churchill section of Richmond. They do a lot of work with inner city justice issues, but they also have a school where they have uh, spiritual directors trained and those spiritual directors will work with you and they don't charge you anything. You can make donations, but they don't charge you anything. And they'll try to pair you with somebody that works for you. And so I've been able to continue to meet with my spiritual director from Richmond Hill over um, basically Zoom. I mean, you know, just Mm -hmm. it's a great thing. We meet once a month. At the same time, as just kind of a check-in thing, I meet with my counselor, a counselor I like about every quarter or so, just a check-in. You know, mm-hmm. how things go and talk about things. And um, I think I'm a better counselor because I do that. I think I understanding myself better, I'm able to help others better. Yeah. Um, you know, I saw a tweet the other day that said somebody was somebody was reporting that a colleague had said to them recently, um, I want to be clear, I'm not depressed. I'm having a very normal reaction to a very extreme set of circumstances that we are living through. And I remember some of my own sort of like early self-reflection work, like when I was starting to read about trauma, um, he's a complicated figure, but Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score, um, was sort of what launched me into it. Um, and thinking like, you know, like what would it be like if we thought everybody has trauma? Like everybody has just a little bit of it. Yep. Like to, to sort of wonder, like, is that something that we can normalize? Um, and then I think about like, the kind of process that I had to go through to name, like, wait a second, am I a person with trauma? Like that, why does that feel weird to me? Like, am I allowed to claim that? Like, is that true? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want to be that kind of person. You know, like there's that stigma associated with it. Um, I do think like so much of the work of getting there is the work of self-reflection and sort of like community reflection. And I think what you're pointing to like spiritual director, therapist, also just like community of support um, can feel really important in getting there. Um, Journaling. Like I find myself really curious, like 
what kind of work would it be for like communities of faith to, to move toward that kind of shared recognition of like, you know, this has been a really hard thing um, that we've all gone through. I, I, I also wonder if, if we're there yet. Yeah. I, I, I think you're onto something. I, I think in, I come from a, a very troubled family where there are families that were worse off. Absolutely. But that was the only family I knew. And when I was young, I thought that was normal. As I got older and my life became disordered and I started to learn about these issues, I recognized that it wasn't normal at all. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, it was, it was, there's a, there's a cycle of, in one strand of the family is a cycle of mental illness and alcoholism that goes back as far as I can tell from ancestry searching to the Irish famine. Yeah. And then that brings up another issue is that for some of us, there are people that are starting to look at our DNA, that yeah. there's a predisposition because of historic traumas in the past, such as slavery, such as the Holocaust, such as the treatment of Native Americans, such as the Irish mm -hmm. famine, that there could be a disposition towards some things based on what our ancestors went through. Mm -hmm. I don't think everyone's in full agreement on that yet, but I, I think that I don't see why I think that's a, a fair thing to examine. Mm -hmm. um, I think at some level we live in a fallen world and everyone theologically, everyone has trauma because it's a fallen world. No one's perfect and the world is not perfect toward them. The question is some people have more trauma than others. Mm -hmm. And it's not always fair. And so then you get into those other, what's called theodicy, the problem of evil, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that's a, a whole other discussion, but that's part of recognizing that sometimes as in the 12 step program, you just have to surrender and accept things as they are realistically. That doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean that you, that you're not going to continue to try to make things better. Mm -hmm. But there's at some level, anxiety lowers when you stop fighting everything. Mm -hmm. you stop trying to be perfect. You will see, I remember back in the, I think it was like the 80s or 90s, Saturday Night Live used to do a skit where basically a person acted out in a way that... Uh, I think it was Al Franken actually <laughs> that he acted as if he has gone through one of these group therapy kind of things. And mm -hmm. I like me and I'm, you know, whatever it, it was, it was making fun of people making too much out of stuff. And I think we can do that, but I think at the same time, at some level as a counselor, I read um, mentions argues that at some level we're all codependent <laughs> We all like mm -hmm. to be liked. We adjust our behaviors to keep people in relationship with us. We mm -hmm. um, don't always do things just out of love. Sometimes we do it out of wanting to get something back, which is at a root manipulation. Mm -hmm. And and so I think to be able to say, 
as Luther says, we're all sinner saints at the best, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we we struggle with sin even as we're saved. That was a hugely helpful concept for me. Mm-hmm. You know, be able to say, you know what, I've done a lot of stupid things in my life. I've made a lot of mistakes that are myself and others, but I don't have to get stuck in them anymore. I can still recognize that even with that tendency, I can find grace. Even with that tendency, God has a better thing in store for me. Well, it's the same thing with these other issues that if my family wasn't perfect, I can say, well, my family wasn't perfect, but there were good things there too. Mm-hmm. And, and I can identify them. So recently this last year, another complicating factor for the pandemic was my mother died. And that brought up a lot of old family issues. It was a very surreal experience. And my dad's already passed several years ago. And uh, one of the things when I came back, I was ended up preaching on Mother's Day. <laughs> that, was, that was tough. That was tough. And yeah. as we were talking about a moment ago, I think it's important for pastors as they feel comfortable to offer themselves up with appropriate vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So in that case, like I don't go into big details in my sermons about what I experienced, but I have mentioned to my congregations that my family had a lot of problems. And if they think it's worse than it was, that's fine. If they think it's less worse than it was, that's fine. That's not my point. The point is it caused some trauma and I've had to deal with it. And on that mother day, I had the opportunity based on the scripture was there to reflect upon how my mother loved me as much as she was able. Mm -hmm. And in understanding that the compassion that was able to well up inside me to be a stronger feeling, to have compassion, stronger feeling than anger or, or other Mm -hmm. negative emotions. This doesn't erase what happened, but it does reframe what happened. And that can be a helpful thing on a personal level. But when I did that, when I spoke in those terms, after the service, someone came up to me and said, thank you for sharing that. I thought I was the only one that felt that way. Mm -hmm. And so for some of us that may be a little further along on the journey of healing, a little more educated on these subject matters or experienced, there can be times to appropriately share. At the same time, I caution people, you really need to think about how and when and where you share these days <laughs> because mm-hmm. people can can use it against you. So there, that's a reality. But if you feel comfortable, if you feel confident, if, and if you pick, and choose your words wisely where you're not hurting yourselves or others. Like I, I don't go into details about my family life because that's a privacy issue for some of my siblings. It's mm-hmm. a privacy issue for others. Why do I need to share that? I don't have to share that. Now that may be among friends I might, but you mm-hmm. pick and choose. 
I don't always talk about post-traumatic stress. I, I haven't yet had cause to mention it in preaching, but I've mentioned it in counseling in certain cases, mm-hmm. you know, because maybe my experience will help inform or help someone else, even as I recognize their experience is different. So you really have to be, you really have to be selective. Not everyone can be trusted. Not everyone is truly a good friend. So you have to try to find those good friends that you can do this with. Yeah. But that's helpful. It relieves a lot of that baggage, you know, and you can move on. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking a lot lately about the, the line um, from scripture that the well have no need of a physician. Right. Um, and it feels like so much of just who we are as a people, like as a country, like we are just so, so unwell. And I think there are so many institutions that are sort of like trying to be pillars of normalcy while nothing is normal, right? It's like, we got to get back to work. We got to get back to school. We got to get the economy going. We got to da 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 And it's sort of like, Within this small, within the smaller container of the pandemic, we're trying so hard to say like everything is fine, everything is fine, everything yeah, is fine. Right. And for the the pandemic, but also just the state of affairs more broadly, nothing is fine. <laughs> like nothing is fine, and nothing has ever really been like just a simple kind of true fine. The whole time that we've been a country, right? I mean even look at scripture, like this, the whole time that we've been humans, like the whole time since creation, like nothing has just right, been right, a simple right, right. time. No, perfect, yeah. And I think like that sort of like nonstop low hum of trauma, unsettledness, pain, longing, like the endurance that we have for like violence and greed and inequality like activates that that stress part of our brain that we're just living with constantly. I think we've all felt that during the pandemic, like every moment kind of feels a little bit like a fight or flight. Um, when you're out in the world, when you're with other people. Um, and I think part of what I have to wonder about that is like that constant low hum. Right. Or for, for some people like, loud buzzing of anxiety um, has so disrupted our sort of normal state of like trying to be like well-rested, well-adjusted, balanced, healthy people. Well, when you, well, and I've just been wondering a lot, like what, what role the church has to play um, or pastors have to play and sort of like, bringing those things up to the surface so that they can be named and, and properly dealt with rather than just set to the side. Like there's so much, we love our Mardi Gras dinners. We love our fun events. Um, but there's a lot of fun stuff that happens throughout the week. And I wonder what it would be like if church was the place that sort of like necessarily reflected back to you, like actually things are not okay. And we can, we can get to a place that is more okay. If we like pause for a minute, and think about this. Yeah. I think when you mentioned about that, the well are not in need of a doctor. 
when Jesus talks about that theologically, we're supposed to recognize too that none of us are well. We all need grace. We all need help. We all need support. Um, we all live in a fallen world. We all are sinners. Uh, at the same time, there are going to be people that need more help than others. And that mm-hmm. goes back to that discussion of identifying resiliency, resiliency factors, factors and practices and, and your liabilities or risk factors, right? And working mm-hmm. on those and try to identify them. And if you've lost one, where can you replace it? How can you do it differently? I think the church can help people work through that. Mm-hmm. There's a tendency, depending on what tradition you're from, your theological framework, where people can say, you know, they might quite quote, um, my goodness, I'm forgetting her name now. What was she, she says? Uh, she's from the 12th century, and she says, "All is well. All things are well. All manner of things are well." Is that Julian or Hildegard? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, Julian, I think it's Julian. Yeah, and, and our three besties: Julian, Hildegard, and Teresa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and uh, that idea is, when you say that, that doesn't mean life doesn't stink. <laughs> mm-hmm. It just means God loves you. There's a future full of hope before you. Yeah. God is with you in the suffering, amidst the suffering. That does not mean that there's no cross to bear. Mm-hmm. And so to reframe what well means... You know, that uh, you can be like in, in Habakkuk where the, the, the tree doesn't, uh, things don't bloom and grow the way they should, but you're still going to sing to God. The, the, that you can be in the midst of, for example, when I got my cancer diagnosis, I, th- I wrote about that for your um, college booklet meditation guide for Advent. Yeah. Um, when I, when I got a call, thanks to the relationship I've developed with, with God, with my faith community and with really with myself enlightened and through the lens of scripture, when I first heard that diagnosis, I really did hear in my head that all will is well. In mm-hmm. no, you know, in not so many words, the God that loved me yesterday loves me today and will love me tomorrow. Yeah, I'll get through this. That doesn't mean I won't die. <laughs> that just means there's more going on here than I see. Yeah, and there were times as I was going through cancer and I was going through surgery and whatnot that yeah, I can say there were good days. There were points of joy as a hospice chaplain, as I'm accompanying people towards their death, there were some incredibly sacred, meaningful, joyous days. Um, And so perhaps our worldly view of what good means, what everything's okay means might be, a little bit out of focus. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should be in a place where we can acknowledge suffering, 
yet at the same time maintain hope and work against that suffering. And I think the pandemic is a classic example of that. And so I do think sometimes when I speak plainly and identify, you mentioned naming, I think to name feelings, to name thoughts that people have and to get them out there so that people don't feel that they're strange or freakish or out of place, but it's just quote unquote normal, a normal response to incredible stress, an unusual situation. This pandemic is likely not the worst pandemic the world's ever seen proportionally, but it's bad. Mm -hmm. And we can't, and to try to pretend it's not is as some people are doing is not healthy either. Yeah. There was a friend of mine who died and um, he died early. He was a police officer. He'd been in a foot chase and later on that night he had a heart, some, he had a preexisting heart condition he didn't know about and he died from a heart issue. He was probably maybe 30 ish. It, it it was devastating to me because he was a really good friend. And I went to the funeral and I'm at the viewing beforehand. And a man was talking to his mom and said, if you really had faith, you wouldn't be crying now because you'd know that person's with Jesus. Now I appreciate what he's trying to say all is well, yeah. but it's not, it's not being honest about who she is in her relationship with her son, that this was a loss. This is something to be grieved. It was something that was worthy of tears. And Jesus understands that. That's what's modeled in the Psalms. That's what's modeled by many of the prophets as Israel was sent into exile. So why are we so afraid of just admitting it. I don't think we should get stuck in it, but I think it's okay to say, yep, this sucks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think part of what it means to have faith is also to acknowledge that like God has promised so much more to us. Right. Than this, right. this current fallen state of affairs. And I think, you know, I think about this a lot as a, as a priest and as a Christian, like if this is all that there is like a broken, hurting, burned out, violent, greedy world that also has some good things in it, but maybe at its core is fallen. If that's all that's promised to us, <laughs> like, I'm out of here. Right. I'm out of here. It's not good enough. Um, right. 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 I'm out of here. Um, but something else is promised. And I think, yeah, I so wonder what it would be like to sort of keep referring back to that. Like, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way kind of vibe. Um, this has been so good. Um, and we do need to draw to a close. I feel like I just said my final word. I wonder if you have a final word for us. 
Well, I'd encourage people to take advantage, identify and take advantage of the resources they have for them as they're going through this stressful period or any other future stressful period in their life. That includes friends and family, but also other resources, self-help books, counseling, support groups, um, young adult ministry, mm-hmm. uh, going going to church, uh, as, as hard as it is to get up on a Sunday, being in community together can really set a tone for the rest of the week. Um, just being with other people like that can be set a tone. Um, and hearing the promises of God. So um, try to identify things. And, and even if you don't feel like it, do it anyway. Do all those things you've been taught as a child to take care of yourself and be healthy. Structure for bedtime. Eat well. Even if you don't feel like it, do it anyway. If you don't have anyone you can talk to, journal. That's that's one way to get things out a little bit. And uh, you don't have to you don't have to ever, ever, you know, save it forever. You can burn it. It doesn't matter. Throw it away. Um, but it gets it out of the system and it can help you process it. Art, poetry. Um, I love going for walks because on the walk, as a form of mindfulness, I can concentrate on what I'm hearing and perceiving other ways. Uh, and it will get my mind out of that hamster wheel cycle of whatever's bothering me find what works for you i'd also commend music from tizay or other um meditative music that has meaning to it um that can be something you don't have to focus on but you can kind of live into learn some mindfulness and meditation techniques and uh and utilize them as you feel comfortable doing and um, I think if you if you do these things, I think you'll find that your your options will increase because you'll not that they weren't there already, but you'll be able to identify them better, and and therefore you'll you'll do better on the long haul. As we've been talking about, life is hard, but God is good and God is with us, and we can get through it. But uh, we, I think, we need to cooperate with the grace that's offered with us. Amen. How do you like Amen. them? Yeah. <laughs> I also want to say that's so Lutheran. <laughs> and and you know, that's really was part of my journey to become Lutheran. For those that don't know me, I grew up Roman Catholic, but um it's I don't hate the Roman Catholic Church. There's a lot of depth there and beautiful things there, but the Lutheran lens fit what I had the wisdom that was being shared with me through others, through counseling, through different experiences. And, uh, and so I think it's an important voice amidst the Christian body. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this. Um, We will see y'all out there wherever you are. Yeah. Peace everybody. Bye. 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 Well, that was quite a conversation. At least I found it a very helpful one, and I hope you did too. I always find, even as I listen to that again, that there's something to learn as we reflect upon our experiences and the experience of others. So I want to thank Father Ethan for being there, inviting me to be part of it. 
for allowing us to share it here as part of Two Penny Blog. Do check out his non-working title podcast that's available also on Anchor and Spotify. It deals with a lot of uh, issues related to health and Sabbath and all that good stuff. So check it out if you have a chance. In the meantime, if you have any comments about your own experience with grief or uh, post-traumatic stress or other issues related to this podcast or anything else for that matter, do contact me. I'd be happy to hear from you. For now, take care. So long. I hope you've enjoyed this bonus podcast of Two Penny Blog. Bye-bye. To learn more about Christ Lutheran Church, where I serve as associate pastor, please visit us at christ-lutheran-church.org. All opinions on this podcast and my written blog are my own, but if you have any questions about anything I've posted or ideas for a future podcast, please write me at twopennyblog at gmail.com. Twopennyblog is spelt out. I'd love to hear from you. To learn more about my work with the Theology on Tap program called Three Priests Walk in a Bar, visit us on Facebook at Facebook forward slash Three Priests. That's spelled out with no spaces as well. Now, for the legalese. Unless otherwise indicated, all scripture quotations for any of my posts or podcasts are from the New Revised Standard Version translation of the Bible, also known as the NRSV. This podcast is copyright 2022 by the Reverend Louis Florio. All content not held under another's copyright may not be used without permission of the author.